It's U.S. Open week in the world of professional golf, and there's more storylines off the course than on. And that's what we're talking about on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us on this episode, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you with us for this episode as we take a deep dive into what's going on into the world of professional golf. And yes, We've got the Brewers in the midst of a major skid. They've gone from the old proverbial penthouse to outhouse in seemingly the last week and a half. The Packers always generating news, especially with minicamp and other things going in and around the NFL. The NBA, we're looking at what could potentially be the final game coming up in Boston between Golden State and the Boston Celtics and all of those storylines prevalent, but it's very rare in today's world, when you have a Tigerless event like the U.S. Open being played coming up this weekend and the storylines being generated within the professional world of golf are such that they they actually get bumped into what many will call the A block in the media, in the media industry, excuse me. And with that, we're going to take some time on this podcast to dive into what this riff is now between the PGA Tour and what is known as Live Golf. So we'll get into some of the background of Live Golf, why this rift exists, and how these two entities have the potential for success moving forward because we're walking a fine line right now when it comes to the world of professional golf as to whether or not a tour like Live Golf will survive. It's got a ton of financial backing, so that won't be the issue. The PGA Tour is financially sound, but you can't rely on your past laurels in moving forward. And so that's kind of where we're headed with today's podcast. So let's just dive into, first of all, what is Live Golf? And Live Golf is a tournament a foundation, I I guess we would call it that, a company that is being funded by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. And it has pledged initially to the extent of around $400 million to try and make this thing work. Greg Norman, who has taken over as commissioner, he's been an outspoken critic of the PGA, but we could spend, I think, an entire podcast on how Greg Norman has done things wrong, so to speak, in the world of business. And I'm not sure if I necessarily would have chosen Greg 
Norman to be the commissioner of this league, but Jack Nicholas turned it down. And there is a report out there that Jack Nicholas was offered over $100 million to come on board and be commissioner. And he kind of pushed back saying, listen, I'm the one who put forth all that time and energy and effort in really getting the PGA tour up and running. I'm not about to jump ship now, even though you're offering me $100 million. So with all of that said, Live Golf is going to consist of three 18-hole rounds, obviously one less than what the PGA Tour does. It consists currently of 48 players, so there are no cuts. They have an individual winner, but there's also a team aspect to the competitions in that that 48-man field is going to be divided into 12 teams and has been divided into 12 teams because we're one event into the Live Tour already. And so they have league captains, they pick their team, and there's another way by which the players can go about earning some extra money. Now, with all of that said, part of the reason you're getting some players, I'll, I'll say jumping ship, maybe, maybe there's a, a undertow there of where my feelings go with this, but they're leaving the PGA Tour because of the amount of money that the Live Tour is A, paying out for their prize money, for their purses, and the amount of money that has been speculated as to some of the major names, what their fee has been paid as far as trying to get those names coming over into the tournament. So when we look at what Live Golf will pay out, there are going to be eight scheduled events this year with $255 million in prize money. The first seven tournaments, these regular season events, have a $25 million purse, a $4 million uh, purse as far as the individual winner, and then with that field being split up into teams, there's additional money to be won there. The top three teams at each regular season event then will split a $5 million pot, with three million going to the winner, a million and a half to second place, and five hundred thousand to third. So obviously, for anyone who has eh, struggled a little bit during the event, there's still an opportunity if your playing partners are doing well for you to get a slice of the pie, so to speak. So they kicked this thing off last week in England at the Centurion Club, and the next one will happen at the end of June, June 30th to July 2nd. They're going to Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Portland, Oregon. Then they head over to New Jersey to play the Trump National Golf Course at Bedminster. They head into Boston to play the International, and then we find ourselves in Chicago. We go to Bangkok, Thailand, over to Saudi Arabia, back to Miami. So again, eight events that make up this particular tour. So where does the angst lie? The angst lies in a couple of different spots. Number one, the PGA Tour, the body that makes up the business side of the PGA Tour, has to put, in their minds, their foot down in order to prevent their players from jumping back and forth. They want to keep their tour intact. Their tour obviously is the gold standard, the platinum, whatever people are talking about. We have platinum credit cards now, right? So the platinum standard 
of what competition golf is, and they don't want to see their stars jumping from one to the other. And I heard a pretty good analogy with regards to the basketball championship going on right now. So think of Steph Curry playing with the Golden State Warriors, and then suddenly, I don't know, game three of the championship series, he's like, you know, I got to play with uh, the team over in the Czech Republic because I've signed this deal. So I got to play two games over there, and then I'll be back for, let's say, games five and six. You don't want to see that type of situation happening. Now, golf obviously is different, but I thought that analogy kind of gave perspective maybe to where the PGA is coming from. Golf is different in that they are independent contractors. So being an independent contractor and the kind of money that is being floated around for some, it's a little hard to pass up. Here's the issue where I see Live Golf having right now. Live Golf, who has gotten some commitments, obviously Dustin Johnson, who has the highest ranking of all the players right now on the tour, still sitting at number 15, but the highest ranking player, and a good player, obviously, joins the likes of, let's say, Louis, Louis Oosthuizen. Boy, there's say, say that one five times fast. Bryson DeChambeau, Kevin Na, Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia, all some of the names that people who are on the outskirts of watching golf would probably recognize, and the most recognizable name is Phil Mickelson. And so Phil caught a lot of heat when he was thinking about going and jumping ship, so to speak. And so when he did, the backlash has been real. And one of the reasons is not necessarily because of the fact that they're getting these enormous uh, fees in order to come over to the Live Tour. Um, anywhere between Phil's is anywhere between 100 and $200 million. It's why would you go and represent a country that has such unbelievable human rights violations? So when Phil showed up for his press conference at the U.S. Open, Christine Brennan, who has been a journalist and an esteemed journalist for quite a while, fired a question off that I think, instead of trying to explain one of the areas of concern, I'm going to let Christine Brennan ask the question, and you can hear Phil's answer. Now, Phil, in the midst of this press conference, looked entirely uncomfortable, but he was very, very measured. And one article even said that if he was that measured on the course, maybe he'd have a couple of U.S. Opens as opposed to his track record when it comes to that particular major. He was very measured in his response. You can tell, I I hate to use the word coached, but people had gone over what some of these questions were going to be and how you should respond to them. But this particular question by Christine Brennan is just one aspect as to why many people are upset with these players heading into this league that is backed by the Saudi Arabians. So let me play this excerpt from Phil Mickelson's press conference at the U.S. Open just a couple days ago. Question on the right. Phil, Christine Brennan. Hi there. Uh, As uh, you know, you've been criticized by many people, as you referred to. Uh, New York Post, Brian Wacker, uh, reported that the 9-11 families sent you and others a letter 
uh, alluding, of course, to Osama bin Laden and the 15 of 19 hijackers that the Saudis, uh, of course, sent, and um, that they say now you are a partner with them, and you appear to be pleased in your business with them. Terry Strada is the person, of course, who wrote this letter, and her husband got on the, the plane in Boston that flew into the, uh, into the World Trade Center. Um, and they say the deaths of your fellow Americans. No, I've read all that. Is there okay. a question in there? Yes, there is. Um, how do you explain to them, not to us, but to them, what you've decided to do? I would say to um, the Strata family, I would say to everyone that um, has lost loved ones, lost friends in 9-11, that I have deep, deep empathy for them. Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I um, have the deepest of th sympathy and empathy for them. So that's one aspect of it. And I think you can hear in Phil Mickelson's voice the fact that he was incredibly uncomfortable throughout that 26, 27 minute press conference. And yes, of course, you know, people are like, how are you playing, Phil? How's the putting going? Do you feel like you're prepared? But then there were a lot of questions with regards to this live golf tournament. Another faction that is very upset with these players are those that sit behind or in the camp, I guess I would call it, of Jamal Khashoggi, and I hope I'm saying his name right, a Saudi dissident, a journalist for the Washington Post, who was somewhat critical of some elements within the Saudi Arabian government. He was assassinated in Istanbul, Turkey, um, was kind of told to come to, uh, to the consulate there, and while inside uh, was murdered. Um, there are many people that are upset because of the relationship there where you had a journalist who was murdered because of the fact that he was not pleased with some of the things that were happening in Saudi Arabia. So there's that connection there. And what the Saudi Arabian government is in the process of doing, and it's a term you're going to hear a lot, and it's called sport washing. And sport washing is essentially when a country, specifically backed by a government, starts to use sport to try and change their image. So maybe it's an F1 race or a very um, heavy purse uh, as far as money goes with a tennis tournament or horse racing or now golf where a government is trying to change their image through the world of sport. So this term sport washing has now seen probably more play on Google than it has over the last five, six, seven years. So these are things, these are elements that are being brought into it, and it's creating this divide between the players on tour that have stayed with the PGA and those who have, again, went over and played on the Live Tournament. So let's take a look after a quick break as to some of these players who have left to play in the Live Tournament and really, what does it mean going forward for the Live Tournament if they have an opportunity to survive? And we'll talk about it in just a sec.
into where this live tour stands currently and where it could go in order to be successful and quite honestly what the PGA tour can take from this in order to enhance their brand as well I think one of the things right now the PGA tour has acted like they've acted like that girlfriend that has just been broken up with and doesn't want anything to do as opposed to from a business standpoint now, the PGA Tour looking and saying, all right, what is Live Golf doing? What can we take from what they're doing? Enhance our product, and then you won't have players who jump over to their tour. We'll be able to keep what we have. But before we go there, let's talk about the Live Tour. Now, the Live Tour, I think, I think, in my opinion, they, with their checkbook, thought they were going to be able to put checks out there for various PGA Tour players and draw them over based on the money. Take away the geopolitical nature of some of the things that we talked about in the last segment there as we were closing things out. I think they thought they were going to be able to write checks and be able then to lure players over. And so, again, they've gotten the likes of Dustin Johnson, Louis Oosthuizen, Brian D- Bryson, excuse me, DeChambeau, Kevin Na, Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson, of course, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, probably some of the bigger names that the average sports fan has heard before. A couple of things now as this tour, only one event in, is going to struggle with. What you have listed there are players that sit in the middle or back of the pack. This is not the top elite talent as it stands right now. Dustin Johnson is the highest-ranking player on the Live Tour right now and sits at number 15. Oosthuizen at 21. Then you get the likes of, like, a Bryson DeChambeau. Now, I have my own theory on Bryson DeChambeau and why he left. And, you know, you heard his agent talk about Bryson has been on – the cutting edge of golf and what he's done through science and everything else. In my own opinion, I think Bryson DeChambeau took the money and went to the live tour because he's coming off of some dramatic hand wrist surgery. And I don't know if he knows if he can get back to doing what he was doing. Remember Bryson got into the whole extend the shaft a little bit longer speed swings, impact, a lot of analytics went into his game. And now with that particular injury, I think, in my opinion, there are question marks that are hovering over Bryson's head as to whether or not he can get back to playing the way he was. And so this is a way to still make money. Kevin Na. Kevin Na has been a name that we've seen on Saturday and Sunday for quite a while now. And yet, Kevin Na is one of those guys who can never step over the threshold and break through. And Kevin Na is a guy that I enjoyed a while ago, many, seemingly many moons ago, playing here in Milwaukee, being able to standard bearer when there's nobody out at Brown Deer. And he's grinding life out as he was getting his career started. And because of it, I used to root for him. But Kevin just never found a way seemingly to cross the threshold. Patrick Reed, how many times have we heard those on tour not real big fans of Patrick Reed? 
right? There's been things with regards to his play and little things that he's done that have kind of pushed the envelope as far as the rule book goes and the way he's handled things. Not necessarily a favorite within the PGA Tour circle. So Patrick Reed got got a nice check and, and is ready to go play. Sergio Garcia has not liked the PGA for who knows how long. So him going over was not necessarily a shock. And then, of course, Phil Mickelson, who became the poster child for all this. And when you read uh, Alan Shipnick's uh, biography that was released two, three weeks ago now, and, and something Phil has admitted to, he's got a bit of a gambling problem. So somebody ponies up somewhere between $100 and $200 million, $200 million excuse me. That's hard to somewhat turn away from when there's reports out there that in a four-year span he dropped between 40 and 50 million in gambling losses don't know necessarily and don't pretend to know the accounting aspect of what's going on in phil's life but you get an idea of when somebody writes a check that big what might persuade you so if the live tour is going to survive There are a couple of things, obviously. They're going to have to get more players that currently exist in the top 20, top 25. If they don't, they just become this marginal tour. If I were the live tour, I would take these players that I currently have, run with them for as long as I can, but I'd really be going after the college players or those players that are, oh, 18, 19 years old who are just getting going as far as their professional golfing career exists. I mean, as it currently stands, you've got to get your card, right? And getting your card is not easy. PGA has the system set up to retain their stars. So Tiger, when Phil was part of the PGA, um, you can go right down the list of the players that have been on tour now for an extended amount of time. It is not the easiest thing in the world to lose your card. It happens, but not at a great rate. If the Live Tour wants to generate something, it's about going after these younger players, offering them, they don't have to offer them 100 or $200 million because the name recognition isn't there, But if you make it easier for them to earn a living as opposed to trying to earn a PGA Tour card and playing the Corn Ferry Tour before making it to the PGA Tour, if you can offer them some money and a chance to play competitive golf and they grow within your system, now you start to see that system generate some noise and generate a path for these younger players as opposed to the PGA. Now, if I'm the PGA the one thing that I have to think about is what is the Live Tour doing that's really attracting players? And Phil Mickelson, at various points in his career, has been highly critical of the PGA Tour in some of the things that they do because they are independent contractors. So there are some personal licensing-type issues that the PGA Tour could come around and change. There are purses that the PGA currently is in charge of that they could increase. Now, let's also remember that the PGA Tour 
is all about charity. So when they roll into these towns, not only are they providing a golf tournament, but they're raising money for local charities. So there's a bit of a fine line, but you wonder if there would still be some room to increase the purses for the players to make it more attractive when we're talking about it being in relation to the Live Golf Tour. Another article that came out uh, this past week had to do with the caddies and how the caddies were being treated on the Live Tour as opposed to the PGA Tour. Again, these are issues that I think the PGA Tour should address. I think it's something that they should take a deep dive into take a look at and see if they need to change. Now the PGA Tour, somewhat like baseball, stuck in some old school ways. Nothing wrong with tradition and history. That part of the PGA Tour, that part of baseball, that part of football, that part of basketball, those are important elements to the tradition and the history of the sport. And you just don't want to change things radically because you lose that. However, there are various tweaks that need to be had in order to survive. You know, I always think about Blockbuster. Had Blockbuster figured life out like Netflix did, you might have a streaming channel with Blockbuster on it as opposed to Netflix or in addition to Netflix. But Blockbuster got stuck in a particular business pattern that, ended up being their demise once the world left DVDs and went straight into streaming. The PGA Tour now has got some competition. It doesn't mean everything they're doing on the Live Tour is bad, and it doesn't mean everything that they are providing their players and caddies and so forth, you couldn't tweak to enhance your product here in the United States and Canada and and the other spots that you travel to. The other thing that I think you need to keep an eye on as we get ready to wrap this up pretty soon here is whether or not the majors will allow players on the live tour to participate in these major championships. And there are two right now to really keep an eye on. The USGA, with the U.S. Open being this week, has already decided that it's okay for the likes of a Phil Mickelson to come to Boston in this case, and play in the U.S. Open. We know these players will not have the ability to play in the PGA Championship moving forward, so what does that leave? That leaves the Masters, and that leaves the Open. If the Open and the Masters decide to close their doors to the live players, that will prevent a lot of other PGA current members, I think, from jumping over. And that will increase or expedite the lawsuits that I think are going to be forthcoming with the PGA Tour suspending these players who have gone over to the Live Tour. I think that will expedite it, and it'll be something that will have to be settled in court. Again, it's rare in the midst of the summer that golf takes the forefront the way it has, and unfortunately it's taking the forefront not what's happening on the course, but what's happening off the course And I think it will definitely create much more drama and many more storylines before this thing plays out. Before we get out of here, Alan Shipnick, who wrote this biography on Phil Mickelson, which created much of the craze because there was a quote in that book in which Phil's like, I know the Saudi Arabian government can be some bad blah, 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 blah. And yet 
I'm about making change in the PGA Tour. And, and again, we, we've covered all of that already. If you get a chance, read Shipnick's book. And if I had an opportunity to say something to Phil Mickelson, I would tell him the same. It's a really good book as far as a biography goes and as far as balance goes. There are people within the book who think Phil is a horse's backside, and there are other people that are quoted in that book that just think the world of him. I thought it was I thought it's been an unfair sort of backlash for Alan Shipnick because of the two or three lines that were taking out of that book towards the end of the biography and used um, before the live tour got up and running and, and created a lot of the drama in and around would Phil Mickelson leave and so forth. But the book itself is, is, is pretty good, especially if you're a golf fan. And I, I, the pushback that I've, I've read and seen and comments that have been, that have been made, I, I, I thought it was fair. So if you're looking for a summer read, Alan Shipnick's book on Phil Mickelson to me is one I, I would definitely pick up. As we close this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast, we're going to do so with Brooks Kepnick. And Brooks Kepnick had his uh, U.S. Open interview yesterday in relation to when we're putting this podcast together. And in doing so, I think the frustration that came out over the questions being asked with regards to the U.S. Open or the Live Tour or this, that, and the other thing, I think finally came to a bit of a head, and I'll let Brooks Kepnick close things out on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Thanks again for logging in and joining us when we come back with our next episode. We'll get back to more Brewers, Packers, Bucks, NBA, the whole nine yards. But thanks for hanging around. Take care of yourselves. Be safe. This is Brooks Kepnick, U.S. Open interview. I haven't given it that much. I mean, I haven't given it that much thought. Really? I, re- I mean, I was. I don't understand. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. Like, I legitimately don't get it. I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of all this stuff. Y'all, like I said, y'all are throwing a black cloud on the U.S. Open. I think that sucks. I actually do feel bad for him for once. Right. Because it's. I mean, it's a shitty situation. Like, we're here to play, and you're talking about some event that happened last week. Well, there's events going to be going on now for the next foreseeable future. I know, but you can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror, can you?